0: Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I am super excited to bring you today. Y'all know I love me a good chef, and I have seen pictures of this man's work, and all I want to do is come visit you in person and eat some of this delicious-looking food. Chef Jonathan Pye, who is the corporate executive chef for the West Region for American Dining Creations. Chef, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: Me too. Thanks for having me.
0: I mean, some of the stuff you put together is just like competition gorgeous. (laughs) Thanks. Gorgeous. And I do, I love hearing chef stories because it is so fascinating to me, that decision, right? Like you go through all of regular old school, right? And nobody ever Mm -hmm. says like, hey, this is an option. Maybe you should be a chef. It's like, let's do math. Let's do biology. Let's do you know all sorts of kind of normal subjects. So I love hearing that decision point. Speaking of math, you list math and cricket on your <laughs> like kind of high school subjects of happiness. How did yeah. you make that transition over to deciding that you want to become a chef? And walk me through that uh, that process.
1: Well, I was always really good at math. My dad was good at math. He was he was a banker, <clears throat> so he he always was good at math, and I I just picked it up really easily at school. Um, I'm not talking calculus and that kind of <laughs> stuff. I'm talking just you know good old math. Um, but I was never really, I didn't pay attention too much in school. That was my problem. I was always the guy that looked out of the window and daydreamed a little bit. And then when it came time to do the test, I was like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. So uh, so I didn't really get too many qualifications out of school. And, you know, I, from an early age, I was always watching my mom in the kitchen. <clears throat> and we had such a great bond over food, me and my mom. And I just think that it was amazing to me that, on a Sunday, she would get these massive meals together and it would just all hit the table at the same time. And she'd just be in the kitchen sipping on a glass of sherry. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all this food appeared, you know, and everybody then came out of the living room and was like, Oh, dinner's ready, you know, kind of thing. And she was just so graceful about it. And, you know, she passed away about 10 years ago. And um, she uh, had a huge influence on me when it came to food. And I already felt like when I became an apprentice when I was 16 that I already knew kind of a lot, you know, because of her, you know, obviously it was home cooking, not, you know, professional cooking, but it definitely there There's a
0: blurry line there.
1: It, it absolutely pushed me in that direction. There's no doubt.
0: Now, did she have to plan it so it all came out at the same time or was it just magic?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I I was too young to really know and I don't think I ever really asked her that, but she always... Sunday was always the end of the the big meal of the week it was the sunday roast you know in england we do we do that every sunday and um she just you know one week it was roast beef the next week it was a roast chicken the next week it was a roast pork and it just went around and around like that and every week there was different vegetables and potatoes and desserts and soup salads it was just you know she just
0: what was the one thing she taught you that you still kind of keep in your repertoire
1: now? Um, I think really overall just to, to use fresh food, not frozen food, and to, to treat it right. You know, like my dad grew up, was a gardener, so he always it's used like to bring stuff. Yeah, he would bring stuff into the kitchen and she would cook it or make a salad out of it or whatever, you know, and and it always tasted so good because it just came right from the garden. So it was, you know, it was just about making those, carrots the way they were supposed to taste and not doing anything too fancy with them you know it was pretty basic food really when you look at it but looked really good
0: too that's pretty amazing
1: yeah yeah
0: I love when there's good influence so then uh, you become an apprentice mm-hmm. what happens from there
1: so I started my apprenticeship when I was 16 that was 1986 so just gave you my age um <laughs> and Worked in a, a, a Victorian hotel in a town called Grange over Sands, which is about 60 miles northwest of Manchester. Um, beautiful old hotel, um, did about 18 months there. Then I did another hotel to finish out my apprenticeship. Um, then after that worked in uh, a pub, kind of like a gourmet pub. Um, a couple country clubs and catering companies came over to the US when I was 27 in 97. Um, Worked in a hotel, another country club, and then went back to England for two years, ran my own restaurant with my wife, um, and then came back for good in 2006. Worked for uh, a food service company out of Dallas in a hotel, and then uh, moved over to American Dining Creations in 2012 as the executive chef at the Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City, and then got promoted about five years ago. So,
0: yeah. So there's a theme somewhere in there around hotels.
1: Yeah, yeah, no restaurants at all. I've never worked in a restaurant in 37 years,
0: so well, except been... the one that you owned. But well,
1: yeah, <laughs> the one I own. Yeah, yeah. The
0: hotel business is just a little bit different, right? So much in terms of banquet and and um uh,
1: yeah, not, not catering.
0: Yeah. Catering's not the right word. I, I, I guess banquet is the right word, but like such large productions and
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in those nice hotels in England, it's. It's, you know, fine dining, it's white glove, you know, tablecloth, very almost stuffy, you know, so especially back in the late 80s, you know, we still served people's vegetables at the table, you know, out of a silver container kind of thing. So, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, loosely, loosely termed, I've just done catering my entire life pretty much. So,
0: And you like it?
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, li- I like it's the, happening. I like the structure of it. I like knowing what I've got to do. Every day, I, I restaurants just kind of annoyed me. I don't know from a chef standpoint because I just never knew how many people were coming, and I, the weather made so much difference. And then you know, it was just I just wanted a sheet that said you've got four hundred beef tenderloin and shrimp, and it's at seven o'clock, and then at nine o'clock you'll be to That's going, oh. so
0: interesting. You, you know, know, for all the chefs I have interviewed on this show, and it is a lot of chefs. I don't and and we've had hotel chefs resort chefs restaurant chefs every every ilk you can come up with has been with me at some point on the show I don't know that anybody has ever really delineated it quite so cleanly as that
1: yeah yeah I mean I just I I like the organization of it all you know I don't like this chaos of running out of food not knowing if I've got enough food coming but you know on and on I could talk for hours about it but you know I think catering is nice and I you know, I challenged my sous chef about eight years ago at the museum. We kind of would always sort of, people would say, Hey, can you do lobster for 600? And we'd be like, no, you can't do that. You know, kind of thing. And after a couple of years, I said to my sous chef, you know, it's, I think it's time. We just started saying yes and figuring it out just to push ourselves to a new level. And man, did we, did I challenge those guys? I'll tell you every time I went into a meeting with a committee or a fundraising group or, I would walk back in the kitchen and they'd be like, what did you do now? Kind of thing, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when you yeah, sign us
0: up for this time.
1: Yeah. So, And that's where a lot of those pictures on Instagram come from is, you know, those events that we did. And a lot of those events were for 400, 600, 800. And it was, it was challenging. We had a great team and we, I was lucky to have such great culinarians with me uh, that wanted to get better. So, um, but it was a lot of fun.
0: So what does your role look like now?
1: So now I, um, my title is corporate chef for the West. We have two people. One is in the Northeast and then I do pretty much the rest of the country. So I go, I travel around the country. I um, do openings, account openings. I'm actually at one this week in Omaha. We've done three in three weeks. So it's been a it's been a long three weeks, but um, <laughs> uh, I do large caterings. You know, if we have an event for 2000, 3000, whatever it is, I'll go to those. You know, if a CEO wants to have a dinner for $100, i will go to that. Um, sales presentations, I do a lot of sales presentations too. So
0: so let's go backwards for a minute, just because not everybody may necessarily know what American Dining Creations does. Yeah. You, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but kind of white label food service for venues. You provide food service at venues who don't necessarily want to be in the F&B business. They want to be in the museum business or in the stadium yeah. business or in the whatever yeah. other.
1: Exactly, we have a lot of corporate cafes, a lot of uh, headquarters, world headquarters that we do the the food in. Uh, we do some museums. We have a pretty healthy higher ed division, uh, K through twelve. We do some K through twelve business, um, but mainly corporate dining is is the lion's share of the business um, because, like you said, they don't want to they don't want anything to do with it. They're like. You, you just take it from us please and just run it and look after our money basically so <laughs> right. uh, yeah, don't spend too much of our money while you do it but uh, it's something
0: that they have to provide but you know that's yeah. not their core core competency
1: yeah well it's and it's got more that way since covid because of obviously everybody leaving the office building and now people are starting to come back even still still coming back and we have, still have some accounts that are completely empty um but there's because there's a lot less people in the building. They're having to pay for that now because no, no food service companies will will just do a straight up profit and loss in these businesses. Um, so and food is playing a major role in getting there's people. kind back of a, to a minimum,
0: a minimum spend, if you will.
1: Yeah, well, there's a, it, it. It only breaks even at a certain point. So typically, about five hundred people coming through your restaurant is about your break even point. So uh, through our cafes, so. A lot of our cafes are feeding 50 or 100 people a day. So they're having to pay for that labor. I mean, you know, our cooks now are making 20 bucks an hour. That's $42,000 a year plus benefits. It's $50,000 a year just for a cook. So to make that money back, that's a $1,000 a week you've got to take right there just to cover that alone. Yeah. Just in monetary terms. But then when you get into food costs and chemicals and paper and everything else. So. They're realizing that they're having to put up the money and that with food and guest experience portion of it and great hospitality, that's bringing people back to work. But to do that, they've got to write a big check because nobody's going to pay $9 for a burger in the cafe at work when they can pay 7 at McDonald's.
0: So, True. And the fact that it's $7 for a burger at McDonald's is a little insane, by the
1: way. Yeah, it is yeah
0: <laughs> it's a little crazy uh, but that's mm-hmm. super fascinating i did not i didn't i didn't put the maths together on on looking at it that way we've got a ton mm-hmm. of commercial real estate that's still relatively empty here uh um, yeah and we're all virtual so you know we don't really think about office space all that often but it's really interesting to look at
1: yeah for sure
0: yeah so what's your favorite type of account like you just get all excited when you go to a
1: We have a couple of really big accounts now that are the population is fully back. Um, We have one in Kansas City. It's like a food hall. It's really nice. It's a world headquarters for uh, um, a company. And it's just, they have loud music playing. And and there's almost 4,000 people in the building. So it's it's hopping, you know. And uh, mobile ordering is such a huge part of our business now that these cafes don't seem as busy as they used to, although we're serving more people. It's kind of funny because this particular company, um, they're they're used to the mobile ordering and they, 50% of the people there order on the phone. So they're not standing in the cafe waiting like the old traditional cafes. They're just, it's really like a food hall. We have kiosks at each station. People go up and pay, they chat with the cook and, and then the food's up and they go. So, um, but yeah, it's a, they're, they're the nicest accounts. I, I have a soft spot for the Nelson-Atkins Museum. That's obviously where I worked, and it's such a great place. So that that would probably be my favorite.
0: What is your absolute favorite menu item that you've ever created?
1: Um, I think we've had a lot of success with bowls over the last couple of years, Um I created a Pokeball program about three or four years ago. That's still one of my favorites. We still run it in a lot of cafes and it still gets great reviews. And we actually ran it last week at one of the openings and it just, people just love it. It's just Pokeballs is just stuck around for. Because for it's good. delicious. Yeah, it really is delicious. But I just think that Chipotle taught us to put everything in a bowl pretty much, you know? So everything we do is in a bowl almost. We have um, ramen, we have bibimbap. We have um, an allergen-free concept that we put in pretty much all in bowls, and that's grains and greens and and, uh, broth bowls. And it's just endless. We just keep on putting stuff in bowls, and people love it. Oh, we ran a hummus bowl concept uh, last year too, which was incredibly popular. So
0: So in your role as corporate chef, do you help the executive chefs at each account figure out what it is that they're going to run, or is it something that you – is it more plug-and-play than that?
1: A um, little of both. Uh, we have cycle menus that we use. Um, when I open an account, I write that cycle menu. It'd be like a four week menu that rotates uh, every week for four weeks. And there'll be like different specials on there. Because in our business, you just got to keep changing it. You, the variety is massive in corporate dining because your audience is literally the same every day. Um, and they're eating there three and four times a week. So you really got to uh, constantly change what you're doing um so yeah it's uh it's it's some of, some of the times the chefs will create their own stuff uh most of the time the menus will come from the corporate chefs um we, we run limited time offers uh once a month and we enlist a lot of chefs to help us with those we okay. find that really helps with the buy-in. You know, in the field from everything that we're doing. If we say, "Hey, John from Chicago did this this time," you know, and everyone's like, "Hey, John," you know, so it really helps when we do that. Um, and at the end of the day, we're a food company, so why wouldn't we have the chefs do it? We don't. We don't really have a, uh, a test kitchen anywhere in the country. We, I will go to an account and I'll work with the chef and say, "Hey, let's get your idea into life." And that's what we do.
0: That's awesome. So I'm sensing a a. a skill set of yours is on the leadership side you like that
1: yeah I think it's that's grown on me over the last uh 10 years I mean when you're an executive chef you have to lead um Mm. and I became an executive chef when I was 21 so I've I've been doing that for 32 years now so it's it kind of stuck you know I mean when I was 21 I wasn't a very good leader I know that but um, (laughs) (laughs) and I was probably the youngest guy in the kitchen so that didn't help either but Um, again, all those experiences help shape you and uh, leadership either comes or it doesn't. You're either a good leader or you're not. and So you just have to try your best to be the best leader you can for the group.
0: Well, but there's a difference between someone who's a good leader and doesn't like it and someone who's a good leader and kind of thrives off of it. Right. And and nobody who's listening can see your face, but, you know, Jonathan in Chicago or whoever, you know, got an awful lot of like big smiles right there when you're talking about like highlighting <laughs> yeah. somebody for the work that they're doing yeah
1: absolutely i think it's a it's so important these days retention has become way more important than the hiring because we, you know you spend all that time hiring and all the money it costs hiring with mm-hmm. drug tests and background checks and all the hours you spend interviewing and and then if they only last three months it's just not it's worthless for everybody. So. We really really work on retention as much as anything so
0: how do what's your approach to hiring new uh executive chefs for your new properties
1: well it it really hasn't changed, even though Covid kind of made us a little more desperate you know for people um but it's still we still have a pretty strict policy of we're only going to hire good culinarians we we really don't want to hire someone that can't cook say or i mean. In my book, you've got to be able to do three or four things as a chef. You've got to be able to cook. You've got to be able to count. You know, you've know, you got to be able to uh, do your inventory. You've got to figure out food costs. And you've got to be able to order food. And that's really about it. If, if you can do all those four or five things, you can be a pretty decent chef. So we have a, a solid chef test that we put everybody through. Um, we'll pre-screen. We'll interview with uh, the district manager. Oh, they'll um, Then they'll interview with one of the chefs. And then they get to do a chef test. So which we give them probably the day before. Um, and they get to cook for us. And then so we get to watch them cook and then we interview them, we taste the food, we critique it. So it's it can get a little intense for those um those candidates for sure. Yeah, I
0: bet. Have you ever have you ever judged any of the food competitions?
1: Uh, no, I haven't actually. No, I've never done that.
0: So so we, we, we're involved with Pro Start, uh, mm-hmm. although we haven't done it this year. Uh, but historically we're always with Pro Start, which is a high school culinary competition. And it's I mean, it is almost the exact same process that you're talking about for hiring a chef, which is super interesting. And it makes me want to send this episode to all the Pro Start competitors. You know, yeah. they have to come up with a menu, do all the food costs, they have to cook competition day, serve mm-hmm. it to the judges, you know, they all taste all the food and then you know they get all the critiques on the food and yeah um yeah i mean what a what a great practical experience
1: yeah for sure you get to learn so much about someone in the kitchen so those three hours that they've got that's their audition that's you know make me want to hire you you know so
0: do you give them like an existing employee as like here's your sous chef can you work with this person
1: no, we just say, "Hey, this person knows where everything is. Just ask them if you need anything, and here's your, <laughs> here's your box of ingredients, which we usually tell them the day before. Um, and it varies depending on who we're hiring. If we're hiring a chef manager, it'll be two and a half hours. If we're hiring a senior executive chef for a big account, it might be four hours because we'll be adding in, you know, hors d'oeuvres and things like that. So,
0: you make them do dessert.
1: I don't. I don't ever make them do dessert because I, I I know how uncomfortable it makes chefs, and and it's really not easy to do in like three or four hours to make a good dessert. But it, I always tell them, hey, if you want to be, if you want to really be an overachiever and make a dessert that would impress us, so nobody ever does. So, but
0: that's so funny. Yeah, um, no, I, the desserts always a always a line in the sand, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, it is
0: so whether it's today or when you were you know every day in the kitchen at at one account what's your favorite part of your job
1: I just love being in the kitchen I don't don't really like today I was in the kitchen for about six hours I didn't really work much I stood at my laptop quite a bit but for about two or three hours I was cooking and I just I'm at peace when I'm cooking that's really the whole reason I became a chef and people say to me all the time you're the corporate chef you shouldn't be cooking and washing dishes I'm like that's the only part of my job I like you know like it's
0: <laughs> <that's really> a-
1: <laughs> so yeah I I I feel great when I'm in the kitchen so yeah what's yeah. the most
0: challenging part um don't say yeah, everything the else
1: the travel probably I mean it's some weeks it can be two cities and you know you can get home on a Saturday some weeks and then fly back out on a Sunday or a Monday and it it, it it's like a roller coaster we Always seems, everything always seems to happen at once. You travel for four or five weeks and then I get a couple of weeks at home and then everything's fine again, you know, so it's, I've learned to deal with the travel a lot better over the last year or so than previously, so.
0: Do you try to stay in places with kitchens?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we, we typically stay in Hilton hotels, so sometimes we'll stay in like home twos or home woods that have a kitchen, so. It like, depends, again, on who I'm traveling with. If I'm traveling on my own, I like the kitchen. But if I'm traveling in a group, we go out to eat. So it's kind of different.
0: Yeah, right on. When you have a dinner party, what's your go-to?
1: Well, first of all, I never have dinner parties. Very rarely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Very all right, rarely. So but it's
0: Sunday a... family dinner then. Yeah. Well. All, back, all circle to home.
1: We, we eat pretty simply in our house. Um, my kids will eat pretty much anything. Um and my wife is like the the queen of casseroles. She's uh, just whips up all these casseroles. So we eat a lot of casseroles. Um, I grill a lot when I'm home, so we'll eat, you know, grilled chicken, pork, simple food, just that and vegetables. Um, burgers once in a while. We we don't eat a ton of red meat anymore, but that's really it. If I have people over for a get together, I'll just do like a grazing table. It'll be charcuterie and Oh, it's just some apps, you know, so.
0: I like that, a grazing table.
1: Yeah, just leave it out all night and people just eat when they want to.
0: Out with the charcuterie boards, in with the grazing table.
1: There you go, yep.
0: You don't even need any dishes. Like, if you've got the right island in your kitchen.
1: Yeah. Exactly. You don't even need any
0: platters, just.
1: Right, yep,
0: Yeah. Right up there with the butter boards and the frosting boards that people are making. Yeah, uh-huh. Pretty crazy. Yep.
1: Uh.
0: So no roasts and Yorkshire pudding.
1: Once in a while, yeah, we do it once in a while. I, my wife will say, "You haven't made Yorkshire puddings in a while," so so then I'll, the Sunday roast will come out. I'll go get a go get a chicken or something and brine it and then roast it and all the vegetables and roast potatoes and Yorkshire puddings.
0: So, so we were talking earlier about both of us are going to England this summer. I mean separately, but in the same summer. I love Yorkshire pudding. Is it really a thing? Like, can we go to restaurants? and?
1: Yeah. No, you absolutely can. It might only be on a Sunday. It's synonymous with Sundays because Sundays, you know, the lazy day. People go out to eat and it's the roast and it's the day where families get together and have a, a feast. So that's typically what people will prepare on a Sunday. But pubs and restaurants have jumped all over it and everywhere you go on a Sunday, you can get it. So,
0: because it's delicious.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: I've been to England before, but not not after I discovered Yorkshire pudding.
1: No. Oh, okay.
0: So I'm excited about that. Yeah. So how can everybody connect with you online? Online. Mm-hmm. Um, wants to get in touch has a question.
1: I guess I could share my email address. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they could DM me on uh, Instagram.
0: Okay. Perfect. Yeah. What's your handle on Instagram?
1: It is Chef Three point one four. Do you see what I did there?
0: I do see what you did there, and I don't like it. So wait, now, so now I have another question, though. What's your favorite pie?
1: My favorite pie. Oof! Uh, my mom Not used mathematical to, kind. My dad used to grow rhubarb, and my mom used to make a pie with rhubarb and strawberries. It was really good.
0: You don't really see rhubarb anymore.
1: Not much, no. I, I don't think I've. Uh, used Bob in probably 15 years but
0: yeah I used to it. hear more about that but strawberry yeah. rhubarb pie is delicious
1: yeah yeah
0: well i hope that's not one of your two truths and a lie because there we are now <laughs> so without telling us the answer okay because anybody who's listening if you want to know what the lie is going to be you have to come talk to us on your favorite social media platform or your favorite podcast platform
1: right
0: so without Telling us the answer, and in no particular order. Three facts about yourself, one of which is, you know, not true.
1: Okay. I am an avid gardener, like my dad was. He taught me how to grow things, so I have raised beds in my backyard, and we grow all year round. We grow some fruits and vegetables. I am incredibly superstitious. And I was a professional pool player when I was 18. I
0: don't (laughs) don't have any idea. I have a guess, but I don't have any idea. That's pretty fun. All right. Yeah,
1: pretty, pretty random three though. yeah.
0: <laughs> right? Well, thank you so much for being here. What a fun conversation and fabulous accent to boot. Uh, Chef Jonathan Pye from American Dining Creations, thank you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your candor. And uh, yeah, listeners, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, This has been the Shandyland podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.